Ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. Welcome to Wildcat Formation 89.1 WXVU Villanova Radio on Spotify. I'm your host, Anders Pryor. Happy Friday. Wonderful week of sports ahead for us. Tonight we got... Villanova going up against Michigan State in what probably should be their most important and season tone setting game of non-conference play. Very excited for that. Tomorrow is the Battle of the Blue where Villanova football will be taking on Delaware. And I, I, I like to think that, you know, no matter how, you know, how, you know, underperforming a team might, you know, a team might be on the season. If you if you can beat your rival, uh, by the end it, it's a good season. You know Auburn can suck all they want, but you know at the end of the day, if, if they if they get a win against Bama, that that that's a solid year for them. So hopefully we can pull one out tomorrow, and and I, and I hope to see everyone there. And then Sunday is it, you know. It, it, it's Patriots week. It, it's Jets. It's Jets Patriots in the one o'clock slot. Don't know how that's been flexed to prime time yet, but. Um, we'll be watching that. We'll be playing very close. To I am a Jets fan, for those of you who don't know. Um, very excited about everything that's going on. Uh, very excited to have you in today. I want to talk about a couple things. Um, so last night, we had Titans and Packers. Uh, Titans uh, beat Green Bay 27-17. to And this kind of... So... There's a couple things that we've all kind of observed about Green Bay, and I want to kind of kind of piece them together in in, in some sort of respect. Number one, um, I think that I you know let's begin by being fair and say that I think eighty percent of people roughly expect them to have a down year of some kind. Um, I did expect it to be this cataclysmic. A lot of people that, that I'm close to that I trust expected it to be this cataclysmic. Um, I did not think it was going to be look uh, that I did not think it was going to look this bleak and this uh, turbulent, I, I, I guess. Um, I expected them to, you know, at least be, you know, maybe close to the to the five and six and six and five range, but just close close snaps and just poor reads and, and dropped routes and whatever have you, just just, just cut that off. Um, but there are two things that I want to kind of. So I, I've been fair with Green Bay, right? I, I am being fair, and I and I understand that you know what's happening with them needs needs the context that it deserves. But there's a couple things to say on that. Number one um, is that I am not going to really buy um, into the lack of receivers um, narrative that we have here. First of all, number so two things about that. Number one is that this is now the third game where Christian Watson has gone distinctively better um, in comparison. And, you know, he had flashes beforehand and now those flashes are just becoming constants and what have you. But even if that wasn't 
um, present, um, you see what's happening. A lot of offenses and a lot of quarterbacks who are becoming successful with very, very minimal offensive skilled players, particularly in the passing game. Um, uh, the Giants, you know, what is Daniel Jones working with other than, you know, Richie James and Rondell Robinson, who was, who's a rookie who many people thought was a, was fast, but a project. Um, Daniel Jones is making it work. And he has himself a good run game. And Aaron Rodgers has his himself a good run game, you know, with a tandem of backs um, who you know, for Matt LaFleur, who's supposed to be someone who's building run games, isn't utilizing them particularly effectively. Um, but I don't see any of the excuses for Daniel Jones there. When, whenever Daniel Jones, he, Daniel Jones and the Giants, they have not lost very much, but when they have, um, I've never seen any of the blame go to the lack of the weapons. Um, and I don't know why we're giving Rodgers that kind of same sort of excuse. Same with the Ravens. I mean, Rashad Bateman as your number one was a reach to begin with, and now he's hurt. And in the games where they haven't had Mark Andrews, they've they've been winning those games um, because Lamar Jackson is, you know, like he's special, he's different. I am not as high on him as most people think. I would pay him. I would not give him the amount of guaranteed money that he wants, but I do... I, I do think that he is he has an it factor and I think that he's using that it factor to make um a kind of more scarce offensive group um work. And the model that these teams are making, you know, these players work in are things that on the surface and I think that we would all agree with this, like that they're sustainable kind of systems. So um on one hand, it is understandable that Green Bay would struggle initially. However, I don't. I feel like if you, if I mean, if you gave Giants, if you gave the Giants Christian Watson and Rashad Bateman on top of these guys, I don't even think they would have lost a game by now. Um, so that on one hand, I you know, so in, in terms of you know the way that the quarterback is struggling, like you know. Um, a lot more of this is on air, and then you realize you can't put all of this on the drops and all of this on being it being the young guys and what have you. Um, eventually, you got to start taking some accountability for you know not being present and not being at training camp with a bunch of rookie receivers and these kinds of struggles in these particular moments. Not just the receivers getting better. Not not only are they getting better in terms of becoming more ad, ad, equated to the NFL system and the NFL speed and the physicality of that game, which was the, the issues at first, but now even that, after that's cleaned up. Just situationally, it's not kind of piecing itself together. Um, and a lot of that can be attested to the things that were happening before the season with Aaron Rodgers in terms of his lack of physical and, in a lot of people's cases, mental presence in that facility. And then on top of that, um, just like the off-the-field kind of attitude shifts where he's flirted with retirement and threatened retirement and, you know, any kind of situational sort of sparks that he's that we're seeing now time and time again with him and Matt LaFour taking very passive shots at each other and things of that nature. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want, I'm kind of at this point, I'm sort of done with the lack of receivers excuse. Um, Cause that was a, that was a Tennessee uh, secondary that, you know, 
was not great to begin with. You know, Kevin Byard's obviously fantastic, and I have I think Roger McCurry is going to be really good. I really liked him coming out of Auburn. I thought he had a great combine, but it's not. It is by no means anything that you know we've seen other parts of the NFC and or excuse me, other parts. You know. AFC or NFC or yeah, football in general. We we there's I can name to a lot of personnel groups that would have that have done better handed than the than the Tennessee Titans and um. So I don't I I don't want to match up. Excuse, there's no matchup excuse either. Um, eventually, you just got to kind of make that stuff work. Um, so I'm done with that excuse. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to say. Is when I was watching what I want to say, but more so I want to talk about um, is that I think gen- genuinely that um, that Matt Lafleur's I think that his I want to talk about Matt Lafleur for a second. Um, and I want to talk about his seat because I think it's a lot hotter than everyone would like to admit. Now, the way that I kind of view it is this. So what I think we've done sort of passively, and I've heard a lot of people talk about this in the media and commentators and opinionists, sort of discuss this and I've and I've bought into this idea that we've sort of anointed and have kind of thrown in Matt LaFleur with this like group of young cluster like this like group of all these great young brilliant you know offensive mastermind coaches the Kyle Shanahan's the Sean McVay's the Mike McDaniels and the Kevin O'Connell's and you know what have you um, kind of that that sort of group, and, and the, you know the Zach Taylors and things things as such, um, Arthur Smith, etc. And I don't think that 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 kind of space is where he it, it, it is where he kind of belongs. Um, I feel like we we see him, and he's a sharp guy, and he's on the Packers, and he is from the McVeigh tree which definitely helps, as we've learned, definitely helps. Um, but I, I don't really, truthfully, um, view him as in that category. I think that what's happened is that his record as a head coach has been inflated by beating up on the Bears twice a year and beating up on the Lions twice a year. Um and if you look at his history and look at like the trajectory of all of his seasons and the success that he has had, um, it doesn't really feel like if you look at his you know resume as, while being in Green Bay that he has like that like key signature win um, or that win to kind of get him over. Um, it doesn't really feel like he has that. I feel as like the one example is the Rams win in the playoffs a couple of years ago that had no Aaron Donald and, you know, Jared Goff, um, who would regress by that point badly. Um, so I don't really buy it. I, I think um, I think that 
we've looked at just his record and, 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 you know, kind of have anointed him off of that alone instead of actually looking at his coaching. Um, Brian Dable for the Giants, uh, who I mentioned previously, um, he could he could go, th- you know, you know, let's say thirteen and four, you know, let's or let's say it was thirteen and three because we still have like sixteen games. Um, and you look at Matt Lafleur's thirteen and three season that he had in his first year. I think you, if you were to compare those side by side, it would be blatantly obvious about the gap that Dable has over LaFleur. Um, LaFleur hasn't demonstrated any, you know, elite sense of creativity or elite sense of situational awareness, right? The creativity that we see with McVeigh and with McDaniel um, or with Shanahan or like the situational awareness that we've seen with Dable or last year the Vikings were losing all their close games now under Kevin O'Connell they're winning them because of that situational excellence um we haven't seen any of that on the floor um even when he does win and when he has had really successful seasons and has been good teams without that signature win it, it doesn't really feel like he he's doing you know anything particularly special so I feel like we need to take a step back and realize like, okay, hey, you know, if this guy was working with anyone other than Rodgers, the discussion about his seat being as hot as it is would not be as kind of under the radar and be more kind of out in the open. Um, because this is this is starting to get, you know, it, it is getting a little, you know, painful um, to watch and I feel like we view the Packers as stable and rhetorically we kind of shift over that 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 narrative to all facets of its, all facets of its organization um, and I feel like we've done that incorrectly with Matt um, so I, I I to me if Aaron were to retire, and again, because this feels, and if which again is something that I've talked about before, it feels like it could happen at any second now, um, really week to week. On if, if I'm being quite honest, um, the second Aaron would leave, I would likely I would give Matt one year after post Aaron, and if he didn't make the playoffs that year, I would move on promptly and go and get Sean Payton or someone of that, you know, adjacent caliber. Um, so let's. I think we need to take a break on Matt Lafleur in terms of not. You know, we need to stop putting him in the tier of coach that we like to associate him with. And I think that we also need to um, acknowledge that his seat is in more jeopardy than I think a lot of us would like to admit. I'm not saying that he should get fired after this year. What I am saying is that this, you know, the 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 makeup of his seat is not as stable as everyone would like to think. Now I want to talk about the state of the NFL playoff picture. 
So what a lot of people have been saying, and, and I think this, this is true now, I didn't buy in, into this idea quite as much as, uh, as many people were saying initially, but, uh, but now that we're, we're 10 weeks in, soon to be 11 weeks in, I, I'm buying more into this idea that this is the most wide open the NFL has felt in a very long time. And so I feel like, I mean, realistically, and I'm looking at this right now, um, there are, we have seven, there are seven, um, um, there are seven spots available for each playoff side. And I think realistically, right now, if I'm looking at, at in the, in the AFC, um, there are, I, I, I'm counting 10 teams that could very realistically make it. And in the NFC, I am counting also like 10 teams, maybe 11, depending on how you feel about certain people. Um, that could also very, very realistically make it. Um, so what I want to do now is go over each matchup with the wild card. With the wild card, I'm not going to do the whole thing because um, I need more information on that in terms of like the deep stuff. But the wild card, um, you know, I, I want to see how this finish team finishes out. You know, just to make any assessments on who I think can be a deep run team. Um, but in terms of the wild card, when you're answering the question, who can win a game? You know, this is this is what I think, and this is what I think about what we you know where we're at right now, and and what we you know have in front of us, and how the matchups actually look. So, if we're starting with the AFC right here, if it ended today, it'd be Dolphins Patriots, and I take the Dolphins in a half second. Um, I was very high on the Dolphins coming into this year. I loved Mike McDaniel's hiring. I thought that the acquisition of Tyree Kill was perfect. It was perfect for his system. It was perfect for Tua. It was it was perfect for what Tua needed. Um, and do I agree that to his stats are a little bit padded? Sure. I think that the weapons that he has and more, even more so actually the system that he's in really helps with that. I feel like it's a lot of the Jimmy G stuff too. I feel like the Jimmy G and Tua get criticized for a lot of the same reasons. Um, but I think that, but, but regardless, they are doing what they're doing in their system is a winning formula and they are, um, and they, they're the, the record that they have with Tua as a starter, as I believe it, I, I think it's, it's over 70%. Um, so, um, and you know, the accuracy, which was his strength coming out of the college that, that was, you know, that that's showing now. And so, you know, you gotta give him the credit for that, but, and the, and the defense is just as good as what we thought it, you know, it, maybe it's not as, it's not as, you know, overly aggressive as it was, you know, perhaps, um, three years ago but it's still doing the job that it needs to do or it's doing enough of its job and you know to the extent where they can be like hey you know the offense go you know go score 30 points we'll hold these guys to 20 to make your guys job easier um i don't buy the patriots at all i don't really even truthfully think there i do count them as, as potentially able to team that could realistically play it make the plus i don't use them as a playoff team in terms of the caliber of their play and the caliber of their roster they don't even know really know who their quarterback is i i don't view you know that the the, the dolphins defense is rangy and that is something that mac jones or billy zappy neither of them seem to go well against you know we saw how they played against the bears the bears defense and the dolphins defense i think are very similar in terms of what they run and and the kinds of personnel they like to use and the schemes that they install um but i do th so i i and i i just don't feel like the patriots the the the, the term that i like to say for certain teams that are like offensively overpowered is that you, you can't cover everyone. 
And I feel like the Dolphins are a you-can't-cover-everyone team, and I don't think that the Patriots have the necess- ne- the necessary um, personnel to, to cover all those Dolphins weapons. So I think that they... I, I think that they... The Dolphins would win pretty handedly. Titans-Bills. I'm going to take the Bills here. Look, there's a saying that's said by that I've heard from a couple people and it's something that I've really tried to adopt when I react to to results of stuff when I'm discussing games with my friends um which is the idea that games will surprise us but records won't um so look at the bills the bills are currently 6 and 3 um, there's a very realistic likelihood that they could go 12 and five. They, they, they lose two more games over the co- the course of the other half of the season and they would go 12 and five. And I know for a fact that 12 and five is a record that many people, you know, predicted, you know, the jets, if you, if, if you told a bunch of everyone that the, the bills would have two losses at some point, they would be like yeah that makes sense if you told but the fact that they're in a row makes them look worse um so i'm not ranting the bills are the better team the titans that the bills would win um i think that the bills defensive line is incredibly versatile and really deep and schematically does a lot of things really well i think they're like the one defense in the afc that actually has a chance against maintaining Derek Henry, not just numbers wise, but in terms of his actual effect and the in in the in the play action and and in the option kind of stuff, um, and again, right? I mean, like we we've seen now Tennessee struggle to cover, you know, play real playmaking like number one receivers with a lot of speed and athleticism. We saw it with Christian Watson last night. So you can imagine what Diggs would do to those guys and what Diggs would do to Kevin Byard and things like that. And I love Kevin Byard, but he, you, you can't run an entire secondary through him. Um, so I think the Bills would win that game. I think that I, I think that the the Titans strategy in, it would keep it a little scoring being utilize Derrick Henry, even if it's not big time runs from him. Use him as you can to keep Josh Allen off of the clock or excuse me, run the clock to keep Josh Allen off of the field. But I don't think that they can do that to the extent to maintain the knockout punches that the Bills do have. Um, So I would take the Bills there. And then Ravens-Jets to close off the AFC. I would take the Ravens here. Um, the, The thing about Lamar that I've really appreciated is that when you watch his playoff games, um, even if you don't quite get the results that you want. If you're a Ravens fan, what you can appreciate is that if you watch the little things, he's matured a lot in terms of his situational awareness, knowing when to slide, where to slide, um, you know, when to throw the ball out. Like you can in the, in their matchup against the Titans um, in tw- the 2019-20 season versus the one in the next year, you can very clearly, there's a very, very clear difference in terms of how Lamar um, kind of handled that and, and handled the opponent and was able to kind of, yeah, like no one decide, no one threw the ball out, um, know what side of the option to lean into. Um, and, and so I think that he would be able to do that here against uh, a Jets defense that 
while very while very talented, I think is a top ten defense in the NFL. Doesn't have that much situational uh, experience outside of you know in in the playoffs outside of maybe DJ Reed and Jordan Whitehead. Um, but I do I do think. I do think this would be close, and I think that the that the run game could give you know what we feel like is a weaker um, Ravens pass rush in the past few years. You know, give them some trouble. But I, I would I would take the Ravens here just because of the situational awareness of Lamar Jackson and what he's been able to do and the improvements that he's made um, situationally, both in the pocket and and around the edges of the field. Now for the NFC. To me, Vikings 49ers is the best matchup in the wild card if it were to end today. Um my my gut, well, I don't like to I don't like using my gut actually, so I'll rephrase that actually. I think it will be hard for Kevin O'Connell even at home to out coach Kyle Shanahan in his first go around with him. I think that this is a 49ers team that is being overlooked because of their lack of health. I think now that they're getting healthier, they're starting to show who they really are. And I think that from a defensive standpoint, I I, I trust Amico Ryan's to be able to limit the effects of Justin Jefferson and I trust their pass rush to be able to get you know in the in the way of Kirk Cousins and the amazing and impressive numbers that he is putting up um because one of the things that I do like about the Vikings is the improvement of their offensive line however I would not put it anywhere close to the Super Bowl caliber um, kind of space yet. Um, so I think in terms of a defensive standpoint, I would, and from a coaching edge standpoint, I would likely give this to the 49ers. However, this would be the one where if I was wrong, I would be the least surprised. Um, because I do think that Justin Jefferson is now in that kind of Tyreek Hill space where we would refer to him as a field tilter. Um, and the Vikings, like the Dolphins, are one of those you-can't-cover-everyone teams. Um, and so I, I, but I... But the difference between the 49ers and the Patriots is that I do think the 49ers do have the personnel um, and, the, and the schematics to be able to limit as as best they can. Um, and again, with that run game, I, I, I trust Kyle Shanahan to put points on the board. Um, in a big spot, so I would uh, give the edge to the 49ers there. However, that is the one where, I, if I am wrong, I would be not surprised in the slightest. Now for Cowboys and Seahawks, that is also one that I think would be great to watch. Um, for that one, I would I'm I'm going to go with the Cowboys there. Um, because this is a team that, again, um, like the Jets, it doesn't. The Seahawks, like the Jets, are a team that, while is very talented in a lot of ways, especially defensively, um, and on and honestly, quite frankly, at this point, I'd probably put the offense in the same tier, even though defense is Pete's Carroll's specialty. Um, 
doesn't have a lot of playoff experiences. Yeah, remember that a lot of the a lot of the 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 energy that's being given from this defense is all from the new guys, um, the Tariq Wollen and Kobe, Kobe Bryant and the Wosu and 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 all of them. Um, and the offense has, has has the ability to put up, you know, thirty points a game, and I think Dallas has the ability to match that offensive efficiency um, with the with the weapons that they have, and with Dak Prescott being back, and him can continue to get healthier and readjust to the system and everything like that. Um, do I trust P. Carroll more than Mike McCarthy? Yes, I do. Um, I think this would probably be a very high, a very close, high scoring game. I would give the edge to Dallas because I think that they're. In terms of talent, I think that their defenses are, you know, about the same in terms of on-paper rosters. But I do think that um, schematically, I really trust Dan Quinn. I think that what he's done with Michael Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence and Teron Armstrong or Terrence Armstrong, however you say it, um, is really good. Um, I think he's really clever. I think he's really creative. I think he's willing to adjust and bend and not break. Um, And I think he's done a lot of the right things. Um, and And I trust him to you know learn and adapt to the limitations of Geno Smith as best as 